Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Greetings everybody and welcome to this episode of the Stargate Archives. If you have been a regular listener, you know now that we have finished the first season of Stargate SG-1. We are going to do more Hot Look Stargate. I'm going to open up the show to anybody that wants to join me, and they can pick whatever episode of Stargate they want. Even Infinity. Although that will take a lot of... I know, a lot lot of... Oh dear, I had something to say, really, should I? And regulars of the Gatecast, you'll recognise that voice. How are you, Alan? No longer being savage, so I sent the evil cat back. Yes, kitty cats, the bane of podcasts and podcasters. I'm a fat middle-aged man, and I've got a fat middle-aged cat. I'm happy. <laughs> right then, I got in touch with you over a messenger. Basically just said, uh, you want a fancy recording a podcast episode this year? And you said, how oh, about Saturday? So <laughs> the one thing I didn't expect you to say, yeah, let's do it right now. Yeah, well, between girlfriend and open university in Swedish and my con attendees and visiting people in other countries, my life is seemingly planned at this point. Yeah, so uh, any little gap in the schedule, take it. If you... <laughs> the weekends are when I spend time with ourselves, so. I was a little surprised that you picked an episode of Stargate Universe. I like Stargate Universe. Redoing it had a... I admit, I were tempted to go for of opportunity, but I thought, you know what, we've done it. We've discussed it. It's most people's favourite episode. I wouldn't want to take it from archives for someone who would really like to talk to you about it, because I already have. Ah, fair enough then. So why Malice? I think it really sets the tone, and it's what set Universe apart, because there is no way an episode this dark would walk in either of the other shows. Yeah. This tone just wouldn't. I mean, yeah, okay, occasionally people... I mean, the closest SG-1 came to this tone was the two-parter where they killed off Dr. Fraser. Even that took them eight and a half years to build up to. Yeah, and even that, that was just under normal battle conditions. That was yeah. cold-blooded murder. I mean, even the title. Well, it's one of the things you love about SGU is they take the single word title and really sets the theme for the entire episode. Malice in the sense of Simeon, such a wonderful, wonderful villain. Oh, yes, no question about that. And the way in which, if I can jump ahead, the way in which Rush takes him out. I mean, that is not casual. That is not heat at the moment. That is malicious forethought and premeditation. Of course, it goes without saying, if you haven't seen Stargate Universe yet, go and watch Stargate Universe, then start listening to our coverage. Would you like me to say that again after, uh, or you're going to bleep that out? No, no. I know there are people that have talked by Twitter that people just never got into Stargate Universe. Couldn't do it, and that's fair enough. Since Stargate Command launched and Stargate Universe has been open to any other subscribers, same as for SG-1 Atlantis, I think a lot of people have seen it now. Really? How? Where? Via Stargate Command. You you pay your $20 oh. subscription and you, they're all streaming. Oh, okay. Okay then, so we're going to be looking at uh, Stargate Universe Season 2, Episode 8, Malice. This is written and directed by Robert C. Cooper. As a writer, he wrote 39 episodes of SG-1, 5 of Atlantis and 6 of Universe. As a director, 2 SG-1 episodes, 3 Atlantis, 3 of Universe and The Ark of Truth. Since been an executive producer on Dirt Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which was criminally cancelled after just two seasons. Don't like watch season two. You should. Highly entertaining. And of course, Good Omens is coming up next year. I have several friends who just detest David Tennant and oh, okay. understand the casting and why they made him ginger. <laughs> Perhaps because for years, oh, so I wanted to be ginger. They don't want more uh, Stephen Moffat thing. Right then, the episode opens up with a previously on, where we see clips of Chloe's little adventure with the aliens, uh, Telford being beaten to a pulp, the basic idea of Amanda Perry and Jin swapping places via the communication stones. Uh-huh. A romance developing between Jin and Eli, which was oh, so sweet. A romance developing uh-huh. Amanda and Rush, which was a little creepy, but sweet. <laughs> a little creepy when she's in Jin's body, yeah. Yeah, that's... I have major, <laughs> major issues with consent when it comes to that. Because I know Rush is primarily intellectual, but the man's got needs, and... I can almost guarantee you that 
something probably happened while Amanda was Jin because there's no way he was going to deny her that experience which she couldn't have had. Yeah, there's no way she could have had that experience in her own body, or at least not from a pleasurable standpoint. Well, that could have been something they explored if Jin survived. Well, we'll get to that. Well, no, we can, we can say now because it happened in the previous episode. When Simeon found out, when he confronted Jin and found out it was actually Amanda, that's when kind of the straw broke and he couldn't play along anymore. He made a choice to act. And that's when we saw the doorbell ring. It opens up. Amanda, Perry, a.k.a. Jin, looking up and him walking in and <laughs> end of episode. And then, ooh. Mm-hmm. The episode starts proper on the bridge. And we have Young talking to some of the scientists, Park and Volker, basically talking about Rush because, well, he lied for so long about the bridge and they have a right to be upset about it. He's right. He compartmentalises. Well, that's it. He can justify anything. He is the ultimate pragmatist. He's like, but look at all the cool stuff I found. It's not in this episode, but Eli totally losing it with Rush. Definitely breakthrough moment for Eli. Well, there's only so far you can push Eli. He finally got a girlfriend, impressive girlfriend at that. Yeah. And then, then she's gone. This is where he kind of gets his action man persona on. It doesn't quite come to fruition, but God bless him. Eli is kind of going, wait, uh, Eli, you can see Eli is badly, badly broke because he's like, right, I'm going to work on delaying the clock, we're working on delaying the clock, I am in no way not dealing with my emotions in relation to this. Well, it's one thing to have your heart broken by uh, your first girlfriend after you break up. It's another one, perhaps his first serious girlfriend dies. <laughs> not just die. you see, that's the thing, dies implies an unfortunate accident, is murdered, Thanks in part to decisions made by Ward. Ward? Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Ward? Sorry. You know, I've blanked on the name. Young. Young, thank you. If Young hadn't decided to hang on... I mean, Simeon was clearly dangerous. Why the hell didn't Young just shoot him? Given that they'd already got rid of some of the Lucian Alliance members that thought they could not trust... Yeah. How the hell did he think any way that anyone could trust Simeon? Well, he, he was playing ball, wasn't he? He was providing information, just very specific, limited information. Because they know at this point there is a threat to Earth, the Lucian Alliance are up to something. Simeon probably decided the best way I can survive, the best way I can prosper is to stay on the ship, feed him some information. It doesn't even have to be accurate. It forces him to investigate, buys him time. And as, as we learn, Gin was the same clan as Simeon. She was privy to some of the same information. That's why she was taken back to Stargate Command, swapped with Amanda Perry, worked out well there. And when he learned that fact, that's when he thought, hey, I've got to do something now. Forget everybody on the bridge having a good time talking about the signal from the beginning of time, literally from the beginning of time, and the ramifications of what that could mean, be it God, be it another alien species, influence from outside our existence, reality, all those things could have been part of the third season of Stargate Universe that we were denied. Young, kind of, you know, we're all friends here now, we're all friends, but we don't need you at the moment. Go back and uh, relax. Rush, actually, okay, I'm going. I don't think he liked the idea, but he thought, oh, spend some time with Amanda. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. Why is it the soldier had to report to Young that Jin had been murdered when Rush used the radio to call for medical assistance? That didn't make sense. So TJ didn't tell Young that someone had been killed? Her first response was to rush to the scene. Pun intended? No, actually. <laughs> I'll give him this, though. It is a wonderful SGU time and time again produced some phenomenal cinematography. And you've got the close-up of Jin lying on the floor, her eyes are open, her arm is outstretched, and you've got Rush in the background, the light kind of washing out a lot of the detail. It is a brutal image. Very on Rush, like on the planet, he actually breaks down. Well, in time, we will discuss that. Okay. <laughs> You're going roughly in order. Then. When you say scene-by-scene scene discussion, you tend to do it scene-by-scene. Scene. <laughs> it makes it a little bit easier. That's one of the advantages when uh, you're actually making notes. You can actually put them in order. A follows B. No, C follows B follows A. What? A, B, C. Yes, but... Ah, okay, sorry. Yeah, if I'd have gone A follows B follows C, that would have been wrong. I'm not sure what I'm meant Right then, so, as you say, Rush calls for medical assistance. We get the opening credits, all nine, ten seconds of it. It still fits the show, though. That's the beauty of it. Uh, We see somebody jump into the communication stones. We see the lamp. 
wonderful, wonderful lamp. <laughs> maybe it maybe the props guys just wanted it. Always wanted to make a lamp and he thought this was his chance. We'll never know. We cut back to Jin's room. TJ there is pretty much saying, yep, she's dead. <laughs> yeah, I can tell that. <laughs> All the Lucian Alliance personnel are locked down, except for Simeon. Fingers pretty much pointing at him. Confirmation as Robert Nepper strides through the corridor armed with a 9mm, shoots a power conduit, barks everywhere, then the power cuts out in Jin's room, which was remarkable coincidence. Bear in mind, they did. Didn't they have blueprints before they attacked? Did they got an idea of what they were doing? To be honest, I don't think the ship should be designed so that if you lose one conduit, you lose that level of lighting. There should be multiple redundancies. But of course, Destiny is an old ship. There probably were multiple redundancies two millennia ago. 100,000 years ago, plus. So things are starting to break down a bit. Yeah, plus again, is... the ship was quite happy chugging along when it was empty. Yeah, pesky humans and life support systems. Yeah, I mean, just a huge waste of resources and you know, messing with the ship systems. No, yeah, I'll we'll come to that when we come to it. Yeah. We see a couple of guards uh, in, a, in the dark corridor. A couple of gunshots ring out. Both of them are felled. They're not great guards, are they? You don't know exactly the layout of the ship. It could have been the fact that when Simeon fired the gun the first time, he was two levels down, four levels across. You would have thought that at some point... See, we're not quite sure of the time frame, but they should have been alert, more so than they yeah. were. At the very least, they should have had torches or something. Not just standing there dumbly in the dark. I'm sorry, those are Elven Elite Guard sort of Shannara level. <laughs> if you've seen that show, you'll know what I mean. If you haven't, don't worry about it. Yeah, that was no loss when that got cancelled. I actually managed six episodes before I gave up. I watched two seasons. <laughs> yeah, <Off> yeah. You. <laughs> anyway, here we get some fantastic music as Simeon goes through the arm stores. We see him grabbing flashbangs, explosives, rifles, combat gear, vests. It's all very economical. This is a professional soldier grabbing what he wants quickly and efficiently even to the point of slowing right down when he picks up the what looked like some sort of mine. They're uh, delicate, you don't want to be bouncing them around. Some very good music as well from Joel Goldsmith. Throughout this episode we get very low-key drum beat that kind of goes on for scene after scene, ramps up the tension. Isn't that the idea? That is the idea, yes. At this point we hear that Eamon Dunning was one of the guys that was shot down. Dunning has been one of the regular guards mentioned throughout the series. We don't see him much. He's just one of those names that tends to uh, crop up every now and again. Unfortunately, uh, this is when Lieutenant James confirms that Amanda Perry is dead on Earth. Now they know that if one person dies while using the communication stones, the partner does as well. I wonder if they can be revived. I mean, if, if one person suffers catastrophic injury, then in theory the other person's heart just stops. I think maybe you could revive the body, but the brain would be blank. And if the brain's not sending all the control signals, maybe the automation that you you know the human body relies on can't make up the gap. Again, something they could have explored. Would it have been possible to you know refuse a personality back into host body? Who knows? Do you think it could be picked up on Netflix at this point after this much time? I think there's an opportunity to do something with Stargate Universe. I do not think it will happen. I think MGM are planning something. I think they've proven themselves that there is an interest. And with the right budget, something could happen. What that is, I have no idea. But I don't think it will be uh, a relaunch of any of the existing TV series or attenuation. Still might be Stargate Command, it might be Home War Command. Do you think they're going to revive based on the spin-off they did? The, the web series was a one-off, I think. <laughs> There's nothing stopping them from doing more web series. I mean, Christopher George has let slip a lot of hints that he would love to do an early Tilt series or a Jafar series. We've watched enough TV to know you could have an old Tilk retelling the stories of his youth to uh, his new, you know, trainee warriors. This is like it was when I was being taught by uh, the great Master Britak. This is how it was when I joined the Tari. Tony's still around, isn't he? Yeah, look a day older. <laughs> Maybe he really is a Jaffa. He could be. There's something weird going on there. Some actors do. They reach a certain age and they don't. that's it. That's it for them for the next 20, 30 years. I think it happened to Harrison Ford, and then he suddenly aged to 30 years in the space of a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what happens when, you know, you're on set and doors fall on you and things like that. Right, again, we get a wonderful piece of cinematography. We're at the gate room. Dr. Park and Dr. Volker are 
we know that Volker likes Park, but Park, she likes a, a big, meaty, well-built Greer. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. when you said big, meaty, well-built, my mind immediately went Greer. <laughs> Who else? <laughs> Greer, uh, the rainbows on Franks of SGU. Yeah. Doors open, we see a load of mist. Simeon's obviously dropped a flashbang and he walks through it like a shark through water, slowly becoming more defined. Or like Michael Myers in the original Halloween, which I watched last night, when he comes out of that closet. You're going, behind you, behind you. Uh, feel like you're in a scary movie. No, thankfully, scary movie hasn't ruined every horror movie. It ruined most of the parodies that came after it, of course. Simeon strides into the gate room. He uh, grabs Park, threatens Volker, open the Stargate. I'm going through. Volker, take me, take me. No, that's not the way it works. Unfortunately, you take the female, because then you can uh, manipulate the men into doing anything. Don't get me started on hostile patriarchy. <laughs> Either way, he opens the stargate, seals all the doors, he rushes through. We see a quick glimpse of Rush approaching the gate room as the doors finally slam shut. Gets on the walkie, opens these damn doors quickly. I think it's Brody who's actually trying to get it, get him open. Comes through, where are they? They're through, they went to the planet, and Rush follows him straight through. Maybe not the greatest idea, but he's on a mission. Rush is not thinking in any way rationally. Very unlike him. He just needs to be in the same location as Simeon. Armed. He'll take it from there. He's winging it. Which is not good for Rush because he's a planner. He thinks, you know, four or five steps ahead. Got and his team enter the gate room. Tells Volker to redial. Unfortunately, this is where we kind of get the, the idea that they can't kill him. Because they've learned that Jin was supplying them information. Her clan does know all this information on the attack on Earth. Simeon knows this, so they want him alive. They need to question him. This isn't going to work out very well when they eventually explain this to Rush. But Rush is kind of derailed there because he comes through the Stargate and there's Dr. Park just sitting in front of it looking absolutely terrified. Here's the thing. We have a weird time-lapse thing. There is no way Simeon would have had time to get out. So Rush followed through seconds later. Well, to be fair, it could have been five or ten minutes before they finally got the doors open. you just got to go with it. Maybe he had already primed one of these mines, you know, just slapped it on the back, sit down, do not move, it will go off. It's a very versatile piece of uh, Lucian Alliance technology, which is a bit disappointing. To be fair, they didn't put it in a case with padlocks on. As we know, that padlocks break so easily when you hit them with the butt of a gun. No, they don't. <laughs> not in real life, no, but on TV they do. So, Rush walks through the Stargate, he sees Dr. Park sitting there, knees up against her chin, you know, looking terrified. She says, there's something on my back. He walks around one side, the camera moves around the other, and we see the black disc with the flashy lights. I thought round. Well, they're still flashing, aren't they? Yes, but I thought the disc looked brown. It is round. Brown. Oh, brown. I wasn't worried about colour of the disc. It'll go boom. That's all I was worried about. I love the bit. <sighs> He knows he can't run away. He can't, he can't chase down Simeon. He's got to stay. And as we learned, that was the whole point. This isn't Simeon just wanting to kill Dr. Park. This is Simeon putting Park's life in danger, forcing his pursuers to pause. Jump back to the ship and the med bay. I won't say knee-deep in somebody's guts, but blood everywhere. We also get Corporal Barnes working on another soldier, another airman. She's going, look, too much blood... Tamara's trying to help her out. Then she said, oh, he's not breathing anymore. Leave him. No, she actually said, do what you can. She's not trained. She's not a medic. She said he's not breathing, and TJ's response was, do what you can. I'm thinking, does you want me to start CPR? It just underlines the fact that they have only got one medic on board, and, and she's got limited use. So when you, when you bring in four airmen, all of them have been shot by an expert at killing people. It's not good. It's quite remarkable that only one of them dies. That's true, and the one that dies is the one that she couldn't get to. Scott is in the gate room. At this point, he's told that they need Simeon alive. It's going to complicate everything. I don't think Young is very happy about the orders he's given as well, but he's got no choice. No matter what happens on Destiny, a major attack against Earth, it's a major attack against Earth. Jump back to the planet, one of the most incredible locations they've ever found. New Mexico is really doing Stargate proud, considering how, how long they spent in Vancouver and surrounding wilderness. Indeed. Brian Smith and Jennifer Spence did the commentary for this episode. She was saying that, oh, I'm impressed with the uh, CGI backdrop to, you know, these <laughs> scenes on the planet. And you put it out that, you know, this was real. <laughs> so they actually went there and filmed on location. The Bitsy Badlands in New Mexico, just south of Farmington. Fly down there by plane, of course, and then get little prop planes. 
to go on to location. Death defying was the term they used. Really? Little one engines. What? <laughs> oh, okay. That was the only way to get on location in a reasonable amount of time. So a sort of real-life version of Destiny has to leave now. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Rush actually starts to open up the uh, explosive device, and we see a gun sight on his back. This is the reason Simeon set this up. He's laid a trap as waiting for the pursuers to come through the Stargate and then pick him off with his rifle one by one. Initially you think, well, why didn't he shoot Rush in the back? He can do, but of course he doesn't want Rush. He wants the military to come through. And when Rush actually calls back, don't come through, there's a bomb at the base of the gate. Simeon's plans go out the window. He's got to make a run for it now. Put as much distance between him and the pursuers as possible. One of the keynotes comes through, they get some live footage of Rush working on the bomb. Why didn't Simeon shoot the keynote? His best bet was to just to get as far away as possible. Not even not even delay for anything like that. You do realise he didn't really think it through. Well, maybe he didn't. Maybe if he shot the chemo, Rush would have flinched and then Pierre would have been blown up. <laughs> and then Destiny just goes, sod it, let's go. Leave him there. And I think he wants to kill people. He wants to take that pleasure of actually all these moments he's been holding, holding in the rage and the violence and he's getting off on finally being able to let go. I think. There's part of it there. I don't think he's a soldier, yes, but he's he's a violent man. Even by Lucian Lion standards, as Varro spoke up, he is dangerous, don't underestimate. He's the type of soldier that takes trophies from the people he kills, the soldiers he kills. Yeah, that's not a soldier, that's a sociopath. Yes, exactly. Rush is a bit annoyed because Volker keeps interrupting him while he's, there, while he's trying to disarm an explosive device. Volker finally shuts up, knows he's got to let it go. Figures out that he can detach the proximity sensor. He uses his little wireframe glasses. Well, he broke his glasses, he fixed them with a bit of wire. And now he's used that wire to kind of temporarily turn off the proximity alarm and detach the device from Park's back. Which blows up for the sake of dramatic effect. It's liquid explosive, so perhaps it is a little volatile. When he throws it... The proximity device is kind of, not booby-trapped, but forced to a default state, which is blow up. It looks like he... I thought that was a ribbing cable, but when he starts popping bits off, it seems to be solid, so I don't know how it's... Honestly, I'm not sure from a circuitry standpoint what way it's built. Maybe the fact that it was attached to a solid surface, her back, was, you know, making sure the proximity detector didn't activate the bomb. Using the wire, kept it active, but then when he threw it, the wire came loose. The proximity went, hey, up, something's wrong, blow up. You've seen Darkstar with his intelligent AI-controlled bombs, haven't you? Oh, yes. Darkstar. John Carpenter's first movie where he did pretty much everything. <laughs> the music, the script, the directing, half the camera work. Still one of the funniest sci-fi movies I've ever seen. Uh, yes. Bomb, don't blow up. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll go back. Uh, let there be light. Oh, yes. That just sent shivers down you. <laughs> the bomb discovers religion and blows up. That's a problem with AI. You give it too much information, it starts having ideas. Right, we get a rather spectacular slow motion, slow motion explosion, which looks so much better in slow motion than it does from real speed at long range. And also looked expensive. This whole episode looked pricey as hell. Well, you automatically double the budget going on location, can't you? Yeah, well, location shooting's expensive, but the effects were... No wonder, aside from the location, they just used standing sets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but even, even those standing sets probably cost twice as much as anything they built for Atlantis or SG-1. Yes, because they have to be moodily lit. I know Atlantis was filmed all in HD, but like you say, that was bright. Yeah. They did a good job, though, shooting in dark areas and still allowing you to see enough detail to make everything out. Lieutenant Scott and Greer and his men come rushing through. They start fanning out, set up a little perimeter... Rush is very, 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 very eager to be getting on with things. Yep. In fact, he, he rushes off, Scott follows him, Greer finally, you know, oh God, I'm the military man. Hold here, lads. That was a question I had. They reference some killing of Riley? I don't remember what that's a reference to. Riley died in the shuttle crash, and Young basically had to euthanise him. He died because Rush didn't tell him about the bridge, so they took a chance on a mission to a planet they didn't really want to go to. Ah, uh. So it was Russia's fault, ultimately, why Riley died. That is in keeping with Greer's personality. Like, Young may have forgiven him, but I never will. Pretty much says that, doesn't he, later on in the episode. That's precisely what he says. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
Now, I know this is a person who's recently, an Alan who's recently watched the episode is not something you're used to. That is true. <laughs> right, we jump back to the ship. This is where Young has a few moments with the Barrow, Mike Dopu, one of the excellent additions to the cast in the second season. Mm-hmm. He basically questions Barrow, do you know anything about this mission to attack Earth? Barrow points out that, you know, the Lucian Alliance is an alliance of different clans and they don't always tell each other what's going on. There are missions within missions within missions. The only two people from that clan was Jin and Simeon, which is why Gin died and Simeon's now on the run. Don't underestimate him, let me help. Young at this point is in no mood to give ground to the Lucian Alliance in any form whatsoever. That does change and the show is all the better for it. Well, I mean, the thing with Young is... A lot of shows, your commander wouldn't make mistakes. Young, to coin the phrase, cocks up spectacularly on more than one occasion. He spends two or three episodes just in bed drinking. Yeah, and you blame him. I took this job just to get away from things. My marriage is over, I want to walk away, but now he's a million light years from home, looking after civilians who despise him. Some of them will put up with him. His ex is here. (laughs) Things are going to get better in many ways. They're also going to get worse in many ways. TJ, the reason his marriage broke up? He had an affair, that is true, exactly what state the marriage was in beforehand, because I think he was probably a little unattentive for many years beforehand. It was a military marriage where he really didn't spend enough time with his wife. The nature of the military. It is. We don't really know a huge amount of his backstory. Don't say it, okay? You've said it about 15 times already. (laughs) Had we been given the opportunity, yada, yada, yada. I know, you're just going to make me angry. Rush is doing his walkabout, he comes across another booby trap, it explodes, allows Scott to zero in on him. These two have great scene together as Rush is trying to tear away from Scott's grip, intent on rushing after Simeon. Scott is trying to explain to him, look, there are priorities here, revenge isn't one of them. Brian said in the commentary that this scene took him totally by surprise because Rush was never meant to be that physical. This was Robert Farlyle probably just yeah. thinking, this is what I need to do. His character is furious. He's not going to just stand still and listen to this. He's going to pull away. Yeah. The marks that they set out were all over the place now. <laughs> and Brian had to keep up with him. One actor forcing the other to alter the way they planned to do the scene. And it works out very well. We're going after him the military way. And when, when we've got the information, you can do whatever you want with him. The wonderfully pragmatic career, you know. If you don't kill him, I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't mind, you know, I'll shoot. Yeah. His career understands. Yeah, he does understand, Rush, the, the anger that is at the heart of the man at times. The flashbacks we've seen of Greer, that's pretty much his character yeah. as well. So they give some orders to Lieutenant James, hold the gate, send some people, fan out, we've got to try to cover as much area as we can. Destiny is on the timer, of course, he will uh, jump away within a few hours. So let's get down to business. All right, this is where we get maximum use of the location, lots of close-up shots, lots of uh, long-range shots of the men walking along this remarkable landscape. Jump back to the bridge, Volker, Brody. Does Eli come in a little bit later? No, Eli's there. They've been pretty much given orders to do the impossible, break the programming so they can slow down the timer. Eli, Eli is not in a good mood. No, and Eli is like, I have no idea what effect this could have down the line. I understand from a technical perspective. You don't mess with something when you don't know how everything fits together because you have no idea what effect it could have on systems that you don't yet follow. Quite right, yeah. Surprisingly, or not, Dr. Park comes on the bridge as well. She's not letting being kidnapped and used as a human explosive slow her down anything. She is one of the characters that is built up a lot during the uh, series. She was pretty much one of the scientists that happened to be on Destiny at the beginning, and we learn a hell of a lot more about her. She's got backbone. Well, she wouldn't have had for long if that had gone off. <laughs> no, that is true. We also get Young talking to Johansson. We see the med bay with the bodies. The floor is littered with blood-soaked bandages and rags. One dead, three may survive as long as there's no secondary infections, which is, I don't know, you you think they may lose another one. Well, yeah, it's a risk, as she says, which may be a nod to the fact that perhaps you decide if it's worth risking our limited and non-refillable antibiotic supply to save these people. Over the course of the journey, find some plants that have medicinal purposes. 
But once that's gone, in fact, instead of growing tomatoes, they should have tried to find something they could grow for painkillers. How much got it? The unfortunate bit, a lot of the medical technology on Destiny, they never get to use. Back on the planet, this whole episode was basically described as Robert E. Cooper's, his version of The Searchers. Always wanted to make a Western, and this is where he got the chance. The Searchers end the way this did? You could argue that, yes, the bad guy who they were searching for died, although they were also trying to rescue somebody throughout that movie. But in scope and feel, it's the same thing. In the searches, one of the men involved was doing it for revenge, the other was doing it because he wanted to get the girl back. And the question is, is you know, what's the best motivation? Is it revenge or is it compassion? You know, love for somebody. Rush is being driven by revenge. The needs of the many on Earth are staying in his hands at this point. That may not be the case later on. Again, we get some great cinematography, some great music, lots of talking between the three characters. Rush is having a little dig at Scott about his religious beliefs, about the signal they found buried in the Gans. What could that mean? This is where we get also Greer's line about the Colonel forgive Rush. He will never forgive him. Again, black and white with Greer. There isn't much wiggle room. If you annoy him, if you betray him and the people he supports, loves, there is no room for compassion. <laughs> He's never going to trust you again. Back on the bridge, Young is trying to motivate his uh, scientist. Looks at the timer. He has an idea. He goes away. We get back to the planet. Another incredible shot of sunset. We have the three men on a ridge, nearly in silhouette as the sun is in the background. Yeah, Gorgeous. They decided not to go for multiple suns or visible moons or anything. It was just strictly a ground level shot. The sky was background. Yeah. It's not sort of vault of heaven type thing. Very much in the traditional kind of John Ford Western. The background is that is that that is it. That is the canvas you're painting against. And you get the three figures or in, in the Western case, maybe a horse and a rider or a stagecoach or something like that. Jim Menard, the DP for Universe, worked wonders. Always up against time constraints because when the sun started to set, the light would fade rapidly. So that we're, you know, film this bit today, do that bit tomorrow, do it all in editing after the fact. When something works as good as that, you just sit back and think, wow. <laughs> no matter what they paid for the show, it wasn't enough. It deserved better. Back on board Destiny, we were in Chloe's room. She's writing on the bulkheads. If you've seen Saget Universe, you know that she was abducted by aliens. Yes. Yes, I said abducted by aliens. Uh, she was given some sort. Did they give her their kind of database into her head so they could understand her better? So she could understand them better? Get a baseline? We're never quite sure. Either way, she's... She's a backup device. Could be it. <laughs> you know, we're afraid the ship might blow up. We don't have a way of transmitting home, so we're going to use organic storage. She's yeah. got all this unused neural tissue, so... These funny mammalian creatures don't use their brain much. They're just asking to be probed. But we've also seen the fact that she can physically heal herself as well. So she's been drastically changed from the personal assistant of her father, the senator, as we saw her in the first episode. Just tagging along, waiting to meet someone to marry and bear children and be the glorious daughter of the Republic. Get me started on that. <laughs> we get some nice... We got, I'm always going to say it, some fantastic shots on the planet again. The three guys are walking, music playing in the background, fantastic music. This is where Rush breaks down. He's kind of, adrenaline's probably keeping him going all this while, but eventually something breaks and he collapses. Starts sobbing. Greer, <laughs> Greer couldn't give a monkeys. Scott, a little bit more compassionate. He opens a little bit of water, you know, opens his canteen, gives it to Rush, sits down beside him and they start having a chat. You know, he's kind of pretty much saying, you know, this isn't your fault, you didn't mean this to happen, but of course we, we know better. Rush, the heart of everything that's happened to this crew. Right from the start, when he decided, look, the planet's going to be okay, let's try this one more time. Oh, the planet's blowing up, let's go through. No, I don't know where it's going, how do I know where it's going? <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> and again, there's classic, unless I'm jumping ahead, there's classic Rush here in that, are we up to the point that the others have come along and Rush has made a call, or is that the next scene? Not long, a couple of minutes. You can talk about it now, it's all basically talking about, you know, revenge and whatnot. It's classic crush in the sense that, oh, he says it's an ambush and he stands up and he doesn't get shot by Simeon. Of course, you could argue that there's two ways of looking at that. Rush standing up and not getting shot by Simeon is because Simeon doesn't want to kill Rush and had opportunities to kill Rush in the past. But Rush decides to read that as Simeon not being there because he knows where Rush is. Of course, he doesn't bother to inform Greer 
or the other guy that this is why he's been able to detect the ambush. And plus, from a dramatic persona standpoint, it takes the assisting team out, so it goes back to just the three of them. Well thought out plan. He opened up on Greer, although we missed him. Disturbing. But then again, maybe that was deliberate. You know, we thought, I can get one or I can lead him into a, an area where I, maybe I'll get more. As you say, Rush is busy mucking about with his gate controller, and he doesn't tell. This is no. Rush's problem. He always does things, and he only tells people when he's really got no other opportunity or choice. If he'd have told Scott, look, I'm working on something, I think I've narrowed him down, the decision Scott and Greer would have been made would have been different. But, from Russia's standpoint, if I tell them and it's not ready, they'll be constantly asking me and bothering me, and I won't get the work done. So I, I, I can actually relate to that. You know, like I often don't tell the boss when I'm working on something simply because he's back to me, have you done it yet? And I'm like, honestly, I honestly feel like saying, I'll get it done if you stop asking me when it's finished. So yeah, I can see Russia's... I mean, I know you're supposed to have Eloy as your POV character, but to be honest with you, I have a lot more identity with Rush. Well, I think unless we're all supposed to be college dropouts playing video games at home all the time. Been there, hard done, to t- been there done that. <laughs> <laughs> right. We'll jump forward a bit. Like you say, we're at the ambush. Simeon, from where he was originally shooting from, he planted some explosives. He then bugged out. He must have had a remote detonator. Well, they are proximity mines. So maybe he was banking on... James ultimately coming up to the ledge and looking over, thinking they've got the high ground. That's the thing. Don't they have grenades? They have flashbangs. I don't know about grenades. Wouldn't the logical thing be to do if you think he's below the bridge, pass the flashbang down to disable him and then capture him, rather than lean over in case he's looking up and he shoots you in the face? (laughs) Uh, It's poor military thinking. Maybe when they were gearing up, James thought, I don't need flashbangs, I'm going on a planet. Not in the built-up area. Who knows? We'll never know. Either way, you know, as you say, Rush Rush stands up, totally fearless, but doesn't give enough warning to Scott, who cannot give enough warning to James. And we get another spectacular explosion, and all credit to Julia Benson for being so damn close to that explosion. Well, I presume the large pack, both from a story standpoint, as in providing absorption, and also from a stunt standpoint, I'm sure they could have packed it full of materiel which helped protect her. I'd say there was probably a full rear head helmet and a wig over that, possibly a neck brace. I have no doubt at all that she was perfectly safe. The insurance company would not have allowed it otherwise. And they probably even tweaked a bit with the perspective. But you look at it and you think, Julia there felt the concussion of the blast and it looked perfect. Remarkable that more people didn't die. you got to bear in mind that what it looked like, a special effects blast, it's designed to look spectacular. Yeah. An actual blast would probably have much higher level of concussive force. A lot more debris as well. Yeah. And they usually throw some sharps in. You've got an idea, you're going to toss in rusty nails and stuff. Especially an explosive device designed to be used in an urban area. You're going to toss in nails and glass and all sorts of interesting and potentially infection-causing shrapnel. Yeah, the fact that when the Illusion Alliance attacked Destiny, they brought explosives designed for close quarters combat in a very small area on board ship. So that's probably what those mines were designed for. Booby-trapping corridors, blasting through doors, things like that. Single layers, you don't want to go through the door and the outer hull. <laughs> yeah, that's a point. Well, it's like claymores as well. Front, back. Yes. Front <laughs> and paid to think. Well, that's it. You've got a job to do. You don't have to worry thinking, how nah, does this set up? I can't remember. I, I learned it in basic training, but it's been so long. Got to get in touch with James. She confirms that one man is unconscious, another one's got a broken arm. She's just beat up a little bit. She's got blood coming from a scalp wound. Scott is not happy with Rush. Another shouting match. Orders are given for James to fall back, and they're going on ahead because they've got a few hours to kill, and they're going to make use of it. We're back on board Destiny. Eli is uh, gearing up in camo gear putting a vest on, looking for a gun. Young just walks in and leans against the doorway in such a casual manner. I love it. Eli, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like a father's watching his son picking up the hammer and the bag of nails and thinking, what's he up to? Eli is saying, look, I want to do something. I'm going after him, you know, and Young's just got to talk him down. There's no other way. You're not going to be useful. You have no military training. You go down there, you're going to get yourself killed. You're going to get other people killed. And you are more used on board Destiny. Even if, as Eli says, Russia's had months trying to figure this out, hasn't been able to do it. I'm not going to do it in the next couple of hours. 
brilliant as I am. <laughs> yes, he knows his worth. Yep. But at this point, Jung knows his worth. He does now. He didn't 15 episodes ago. It did take him a while. Yeah. If only just to stand up to Rush. Mm-hmm. Rush is quite a dominant personality. Carlisle is quite dominant irrespective of what character he's playing. He can't help it. That's just the way he is. We jump back to the planet. We get Simeon again. He strides well. Striding through the alien landscape. Backpack, salt weapon, all geared up. Nice music again. The three of them catch up to him. Greer has him in his sights. Rush, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. He shoots him. He gets him in the leg. Shoot him again, shoot him yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> but this time, Greer misses. Why shoot if you... Cause surely he was going to miss, because they want him alive anyway. I was never quite sure about that. Maybe you want to jump in the other leg. <laughs> Just to make sure. <laughs> yeah, and then they do one of the most stupid things I've ever seen members of the Destiny do. Stand around in the open arguing. While somebody they've been chasing who is armed with a rifle takes a bead onto Greer and hits him in the shoulder. Mm. Greer goes down. That's a point of interest. Why the hell wasn't Greer wearing body armour? Maybe he hit him right on the strap of the body armour where it goes across your shoulder. Maybe the body armour was damaged. Maybe it's not in perfect condition. Who knows? Maybe it's Operation Desert Storm level body armour. <laughs> yes. This Icarus base is costing us $10 billion. You're going to make do with surplus body armour. Look, let's face it, you're going to be hit by energy weapons anyway. What do you need body armour for? <laughs> we jump back to the bridge. Jung has had an idea. He's brought Chloe there. She believes he's getting handle on this information that's been buried in her brain. Jung has got to convince the rest of them to give her a go, though, because they're not quite sure she's trustworthy. She's not quite sure she can fully trust herself. After all, she's been under the control of aliens before. Give her access to limited systems. Let's see what she can do. Yes. Do you know what you just did? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. She said, uh, here's the thing, though. Pulling her away from the system when she's halfway through doing the thing is probably going to cause more damage than letting her finish. It could be. You know, you really don't want to be manipulating code on the fly without being able to seal it up nice and neat. Uh-huh. Simeon, the badass he is, has got a little torch. He's heating his blade of his knife so he can cauterize yep. the wound. It's going to take a lot to take this guy down starts talking to Rush. Question. Yep. He has a radio. Any reason he couldn't have been listening in on their battle plans and conversations? He could have, I suppose, gone through all the channels looking for one which was active. Maybe the encryption that the military radios use can be preset for deployment so that somebody with the same radio can't hear you. Sorry, I'm thinking back to Bruce Willis diehard. <laughs> okay. I love this, though. Simeon, you couldn't have known Gin very long. I don't think you had feelings for her, but what about the other one? He nails it. He nails it, and he twists the knife, making sure that Rush is going to follow him. What did he think was going to happen? I think he honestly believes that at some point the military guys will turn around because they don't want to be left on the planet, but Rush won't. Uh-huh. And if he takes Rush, he denies Destiny the ability to function with Rush because Rush will contribute a hell of a lot more if he's on board, mm-hmm. and he gets the pleasure of killing him eventually. And I think that's basically why he did it. He wanted to make sure that Rush stayed on the planet. Wouldn't be the first time Rush has been left on the planet. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> Making a bad habit of it. He's, re- he's resourceful. Yep. Chloe finally gets taken away from the bridge. Volker, uh, Brody and Eli, Park, they're not quite sure what she's been up to until Brody finally has a look. Of course, Eli over have a look at this and then put away so we don't actually find out what the hell happened no we're gonna have to wait and learn what happens along with the characters on the planet long shot of Simeon walking across the plains Rush gets his binoculars out sees kind of a herd of these reptile type two-legged beasts off in the distance and finds some C4 well of course you always take a little bit of C4 when you go off planet you never know when you might need it. Or in the case of Destiny, on planet. Yes. <laughs> on planet is off planet. Quite right. Again, a nice shot with the sun behind Rush's head as the camera looks up. You know he's had an idea. You're not yeah. quite sure what at this point. Uh, next thing we see, uh, Rush is holding his 9mm, pointing at the back of Simeon, as he's walking through some sort of maybe a dry riverbed. The bullet hit on the floor. Missed. i got to wonder, given what subsequently happened, was he missing deliberately? Was he just trying to hold Simeon to turn around and stay in place? This is tricky, because I don't know how much weapons training Russ had. 9mm at that range, if you can hit centre mass, you're a decent shot. 
like you should be able to, firing that many shots. You should be able to fucking hit something. You can adjust. That's a problem. Even by accident, he could hit him. Yeah. These last ten minutes or so, you're thinking Rush wants to kill him without pissing Young off too much. The way he dies, or what leads to his death, well, who would have thought? Who would have thought it? This would have got Rush off. So maybe he was missing on purpose. But then when Simeon turns around, he smiles. He's got what he wants. He then you know, levels his weapon. He starts firing. He is deliberately missing. I have no doubt about that. He didn't miss Rush by much. Not by much, but I think Simeon is that good. He is a Greer. That's what annoys me when he, he missed first time around. <laughs> Either way, he gets Rush to die behind the rock. They have some great dialogue. And then... Hello. Yes. <laughs> what the hell's that? His explosion, you hear it. He hears the robot and he realises, in fairness to him, takes a couple of seconds to realise what's happening. He makes no attempt to dodge. He realises he's basically screwed. Yeah, his situational awareness has already kicked in. I'm not fast enough to get out of the way. There is nothing I can do at this point. And maybe like a warrior, a soldier who knows his fate is sealed, he just stands his ground. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to face this. And if it kills me, it kills me. If by some miracle they all avoid me, well, there you go. <laughs> Lying there, knowing he's completely banjaxed, he looks up at Rush and goes, I have information, and Rush is just, nope. The one thing that Simeon thought was his last, last grasp at surviving, I've got information that you want. And in fact, he stabbed himself in the back. If that's Scott, if Scott ran up now, then Simeon might live. Not with Rush. <laughs> Not with Rush. But he does it cleanly. He can argue that he put him out of his misery. His body was busted to hell. In fact, Simeon looks rather good considering a herd of huge beasts have uh, stomped him. You see some footage of his hand and arm sort of covering his face as he's getting hit. Yeah. I mean, perhaps he suffered more impact damage as he stood his ground. And then when he fell, the beast kind of automatically kind of veered around him a little. Even though the special effects guys had pieces of string tied to his uniform, which they kept pulling to make it look like he was being hit. I, did, I think it was actually in a Strontium Dog episode, they're in a stampede, and he shoots a couple of beasts dead and sort of dives. To make a breakwater type of thing. Yeah. Oh, clever. You would have thought, Simeon would have thought of that. Maybe he's used the last bullet on Rush. <laughs> Go damn, I'll beat him to death. Oops. And so begins the long trek back to the gate. Because at this point, Rush probably is not quite sure of the time frame. Maybe he thinks, oh, they've already gone. It's a big, long montage, some nice music again. Joel outdoes himself, as he always does. He gets to the gate, nobody's there. He drops to his knees, he sighs again. He thinks, well, that's it. Why are the people hiding behind the gate? Granted, they say, oh, we knew somebody was coming back. Well, a lookout on one of the small peaks in the near distance and spotted him from a mile or so out. Or did you do this thinking, well, you know, have a bit of fun at his expense? Make him think we've all left. Rush gets a bit of a surprise because Scott says, well, you were banking on Eli solving the problem, weren't you? You go, yeah. Well, Eli didn't solve the problem. Chloe did. And at this yeah. point, a lot of Rush's influence just goes out the window because if Chloe has gained access to the ship and taught, allowed other people access to the ship's controls, then Rush's position has lowered a little. Mm -hmm. So revenge, was it worth it? My guess is that at this point, you'd say yes, <laughs> very much so even with the consequences of his actions. Do you think he was happy with the outcome of this day's work? Well, doesn't, uh, what's his face, not Greer, ask him that. Having gotten his revenge, does he feel any better? Yeah, but he doesn't answer. Do you think he considers this a good day, allowing for the fact that a man is dead? Would he have been happier if they'd got the information out of him and then he was airlocked? I, well, for a start off, he wouldn't have been willing to wait, but I don't think he was thinking rationally. He's not going to be in a position to answer. It's not something he'll know for a while. Now that he's dealt with the immediate problem, he can grieve, Amanda. Yeah, the problem, of course, with Simeon, that even if he gave you information, it might take weeks or months to track down and confirm if it was accurate. What then, if it wasn't? Oh, well, I've got this information then. It could have gone on for a long time. Yeah. Right, that was Malice. Considering that, you know, we've both watched this as pretty much as a standalone episode, mm -hmm. it was incredibly entertaining. <laughs> Indeed. I'm not sure if it worked so well if you had no information on what had gone on in the Stargate universe before, but all the story elements are there. You've got the idea that someone died, there was a bad guy, there was revenge required, there was a hunt, there was a conclusion. 
reckon anybody that likes science fiction Stargate would take something away from this episode. You could probably show it to someone who isn't that keen on universe. Skip the previously on, and I think it might get them into the show. That's where the idea of kind of the Western format fits in very nicely. You know, every Western ever made is beginning, a middle, and an end. Something terrible happens, there's a bad guy, good guy's got to go to the rescue, good guy wins. Whether or not Rush is the good guy in the white hat is a totally different argument to be made. This is some of the best work Robert C. Cooper will ever do, both writing and directing. Jim Menard worked wonders with the location shooting. It was credit to MGM for funding this show, how it turned out. In fact, I'm pretty sure I'll probably rewatch it, maybe this Christmas again. I was kind of hoping the web series, if it proved popular enough, might get us a Blu-ray release of season two. It would be nice. But unfortunately, even these days, even movies are coming out on digital two or three weeks before they release them on Blu-ray now. That is where the studios are thinking. Physical media. Why? Because Apple now takes away your digital copies of films. You've paid for them? Well, we never said it was forever. I admit, I don't buy stuff much anymore. Okay then, folks. Thank you very much to Alan for joining me for this episode of Stargate Archives and his choice of malice, as I said. Unexpected, but very gratifying. If you want to join me on the show and talk about any episode from Stargate, live-action series, feel free to get in touch, let me know, and we'll have a chat for an hour or two over Skype and discuss it. It is that simple. If you want to get in touch with me, you'll find the website, stargatearchives.com. Our email address is stargatearchives at gmail.com. We're on Facebook and Google Plus for now. And on Twitter, we still use the at the gatecast handle. So until next time... I've been Mike. I've been Alan. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, you didn't do it. It's goodbye from me. And I could have said it's goodbye from him. <laughs>